children's message, so I want to invite the children to come on up here. If you're here for the first time, we have a special message just for kids, so you guys come on up here and have a seat. Good to see you guys today. Hello. All right. Getting good. A little kind of heavy over here. We'll move over here a little bit. All right, let me ask you guys a question. What is the most amazing news or announcement that you probably ever heard in your entire life? Something you remember hearing someone tell you that was just amazing, that changed your whole life. Anybody have an example? All right, let's start here. Amline, we'll go, and then we'll go down toward Wayne. Okay, go ahead. My mom telling us that we were going to have another baby. Your mom telling you that you were going to have another baby. That's pretty amazing, right? Yes. What about you? Oh, we're going to clap for that. That's a good one. We like that. Same thing. We're not clapping again, but just equally as exciting. Yeah, so the announcement of a baby being born in your family is pretty amazing. What was yours? Your sister told you that she was having a baby? Yes, that's pretty amazing. Anyone else? Those are all, those are awesome. Did you want to do it? Yeah. Your parents surprised you with your puppy, Elliot? Oh, Ellie. And that's pretty amazing, too. We love to have pets. So those are all pretty, pretty amazing announcements. Now, when the babies came or when you got your puppy, did your life kind of just keep going on as normal? Or did that big announcement kind of change things? What's the biggest way for you guys that that announcement changed your life? You have to be very careful with the baby, and you have to be quiet. Is it the same for you, Ari? Yeah. yeah. Does the baby kind of take a lot of attention from the family? Like you, everyone kind of pays, yeah? What about when you got your puppy? Did that change some things in your life? Yeah. Did you have to take that puppy outside to go to the bathroom a lot? Uh, no. Gee, but you had a trainer, so you had to take some time to train her, yeah? What about when you guys got the birth announcement? I think you guys did a couple trips. To go see that baby, so you had to had to travel, and your life changed a little bit. That's the thing about big announcements, right? Big announcements change our lives. Well, you know, Jesus's mommy. Do you remember who Jesus's mommy is? You want to say Mary? That very good. I can tell you study the Bible. That's good. You know, Jesus's mommy Mary, and then Joseph, the man she was engaged to be married to, they got a pretty big announcement from angels from God. Did you know that? On two separate occasions, you can find this in the book of Luke, chapter 1, and the book of Matthew, chapter 1, angels came to Mary and Joseph separately and told them a big announcement. Do you remember what the big announcement was? Mary's going to have a baby. That's pretty amazing, right? And when do we celebrate the fact that Mary had a baby and he was born and his name is Jesus? When, When do we celebrate that? That's right, Christmas. And you know what? Today is the beginning of a special preparation of, uh, called Advent. And Advent is kind of a fancy word. It just means to prepare for someone, uh, the arrival of someone very, very important. And so the next few weeks, we're going to celebrate Advent. And we see those candles lit. Each of those represent a certain thing that Jesus did for us. And today, the first week of Advent, we celebrate hope because Jesus provided us with hope. All right? So today, 
the, um, the special word of the day is going to be hope. All right? Thank you guys for coming up here. You can go sit down now. Thank you. All right, we're going to enter in this week into our special season of Advent. And I wanted to also just remind you all that we do have Advent devotionals uh, available in the foyer. We're going to be emailing those out to you uh, digitally if you want to do it on your phone or iPad. Um, but we're also going to have printed copies in the foyer. And so beginning today, there's a daily devotional from our International Mission Board uh, for you to celebrate Advent with your family. These devotionals are very family-friendly. You can read them with your kids. You can read them alone. Um, they're great preparation uh, to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we are now in our season of Advent. And each week I'm going to be preaching from a text in Colossians chapter 1. So this Advent season, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. This chapter in the letter to the Colossian church is dedicated by Paul to the incarnation of God as the man Jesus for the redemption of repentant sinners to salvation. And so it's appropriate for us to use this as our Advent preparation for the coming of the celebration of the coming of Jesus. Now today, our passage is going to be in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and going through to verse 15. In this passage, um, which my message is titled, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Because in this, this passage, this particular part of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he celebrates the, 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 the gospel message... Uh, the declaration that God became man and dwelled among us, saving sinners uh, from their sins. And the Christmas hymn that we just sang um, is by a man uh, named Isaac Watts. He wrote this uh, Christmas hymn in the year 1719. And in this hymn, the message of the gospel that we celebrate at Christmas is articulated very, very well. It says, Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, white fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. As Paul proclaims here in Colossians chapter 1, joy to the world. Isaac Watts used Psalm chapter 98 as his inspiration for that hymn. And in it, our writer celebrates God's miraculous works and simultaneously looks forward to the coming of a Savior. And Isaac Watts read Psalm 98 and recognized that Jesus is that Savior for whom the world waited. In this part of the letter, Paul celebrates the good news about the coming of Jesus. You see, the gospel message, which is the heart of Jesus' birth and life, is something that changes and continues to change the world. Look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first four verses, Paul provides an introduction to his letter to the Colossian church. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Now Paul says four important things in this introduction. First, he reminds them that he is an apostle sent by God, called by God for the unique purpose of leading the church. It also demonstrates that he knew Christ personally and witnessed Jesus' resurrection. Second, in Paul's message, because of his apostolic calling from God, what we read here in Colossians is authoritative for the lives of the church and for you and I. He declares in this introduction that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior of the world. And finally, that the Colossian church follows Jesus. Next, Paul digs into the heart of the message that changed the world. The gospel message about Jesus. Look at verse 5. He continues and says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. You see, Christians have a hope. And in the Koine Greek, that word hope is, is not the kind of hope that you would have maybe on a Saturday morning when your team is down by six points and you throw a Hail Mary from the 30-yard line and hope that you score a touchdown. It's a hopeful expectation. It's an informed hope. It's a hope knowing that we rely on the promises of God who is faithful to fulfill his promises. It's a special hope that we base on an expected future knowing that Jesus died for us on the cross and is coming again to fulfill his promises. Peter says it well in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This message changed the world because of what God has done through Jesus, his son. By his great mercy, he sent Jesus to, to live a perfect life and to give his life as a sacrifice on that cross and his blood was poured out on that cross as an atonement or a covering for our sin. That Jesus died on the cross, he was buried in the ground and he was raised to life on the third day. And Jesus told Nicodemus on that night when he came to him asking about who he was that you have to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. And here Peter recognized that because of God's great mercy, he caused us to be born again. And we're born again through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now we are born again and because we are born again, we have a living hope. Our hope is living and not dead because the one in whom we hope is alive. And so we are born again to a living hope. And that living hope, that gospel message, has changed our lives. And now one day we know that when we die, we will go to be with God in heaven. And that is our expectant hope. We have faith in Jesus, and that catalyzes our hope because at some point in our lives, we heard the gospel, we repented of our sin, and we placed our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now that gospel message came to us through a friend 
a family member, a Sunday school teacher, some preacher somewhere shared that message and you received it and your life was changed. And now you live with living hope. Now he continues in his letter in verse 6. That gospel message, that good news that that you received, which has come to you, verse 6, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understand the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Now Paul dissects the miraculous multiplication and the powerful potential of the gospel message with the precision of a surgeon. He says two things about this gospel message. First, it is constantly bearing fruit. You remember when Jesus took his, his uh, disciples aside in Matthew chapter 16. And they came to him and he asked them, who do you say that I am? And it was in that moment that they declared that Jesus is in fact the Savior. And Jesus tells them, listen, no one's going to be able to stop the growth of this kingdom. And this is what Paul reminds the Colossians and us about today is as we go out proclaiming the gospel, people will continue to be saved. The kingdom of God will continue to grow. The the gates of Hades or every effort of Satan and his demons and this evil world system will not be able to prohibit or inhibit in any way the growth of God's kingdom. And so we go out from this place and we proclaim the gospel knowing that it will necessarily bear fruit. The second thing Paul says here is the gospel is also changing lives. Primarily, when the gospel is proclaimed and a person hears it, their heart is moved by the Holy Spirit to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. According to 1 Peter 1.3, which I just read, they are born again into a living hope. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Anybody in here a new creation in Jesus today? Amen? God is good and God is faithful. You see, the heart and soul of the Christmas season is that God became man and dwelled among us so that our relationship with him could be restored and our lives could be redeemed by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The meaning of Christmas is the message of the gospel. The gospel message introduces us to him and the faith in him that follows changes our lives. This Advent season, we celebrate the birth of Jesus by committing our lives to him daily. And that's really what we're calling you to do as a church. It's what Paul called the Colossian church to do. As we prepare for the birth of Jesus, as we prepare for Christmas, it's it's a calling to commit our lives to him daily to prepare to celebrate his birth. You see, Jesus came... To radically change every part of our lives. And that's what Paul prays will happen in the Colossian church in the next part of this letter. 
Look at it with me. Look at verse 9. You'll see that we have, the, we have a faith that changes you. Verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so Paul now is articulating in this letter to the Colossian church that he's praying for them. And, and then what we're going to look at next is what Paul prays for them. And, and, and specifically, what God wants to happen in your life as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Because turning from sin and placing your faith in Jesus, that's just the beginning of our walk with Christ, Right? That's just the amazing, miraculous moment when you're saved and adopted into the family of God. But that's not the end. It's just the beginning of this amazing journey. And this is what Paul's going to pray for the Colossian church. So first he asks in verse 9 that God will do something amazing in their life. Look at verse 9. He says, and to ask, basically that God will fill them with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Unlike our typical approach to learning, our relationship with God and, un and knowing Him is different. In, in this modern age, we want to know something. We just grab our phone and, and go to Google, right? Or ask someone we know and trust, hey, what, what, what is this or what is that? And, and they tell us, right? And, and, and we have a way to um, obtain an almost infinite amount of knowledge Obtaining knowledge is something you do for yourself. Now, it's very interesting in the spiritual realm, in, in God's uh, economy of salvation, knowing God is different. First and foremost, knowing God is something by his mercy that he does for us. Now, thankfully, our God desires for us to know him. He desires for us to walk with him and have a relationship with him. So knowing God is more about God revealing himself to us and us being prepared and having a fertile heart for that revealing of God to us. Let me dig into that a little bit more. He primarily does that through prayer and the reading of his word. So there is a, a, a part that we play in knowing God. It's praying to him regularly. It's, it's reading his word, his letter to us. Now Paul prays that the church will be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding through God's continual revealing of himself to us. And, and our faith in God changes our lives through prayer and the study of his word as God continues to reveal himself and his will to us through that process. Paul continues in his letter to pray that God will help you, look at verse 10, walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord to please him in all aspects. Knowing God is not about obtaining a list of facts about who God is. It's easy to obtain facts and know about lots of stuff. But to truly know someone means to have a relationship with them. It means you talk with them. You live life with them. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for us here. Knowing God is having a personal relationship with him that transforms our character and our witness. I think about Abraham when God introduced himself to Abraham. You remember that. And what God asked Abraham to do was to walk before him 
and to be blameless. To walk before him. To live his life with God in a personal relationship. God's intention for us is to live out our faith that we have in Jesus. Not just knowledge of of Jesus. The Bible says that the demons know Jesus. But they don't walk with him. The calling upon our lives is to walk with Jesus in an intimate, in a personal relationship that leads to the transformation of our lives. As we walk with Jesus, and he continually transforms us into the person God designs us to be, that's the process of sanctification. When we live in the sweet spot of God's will, he does some pretty amazing things in our lives. And that's what Paul talks about next. Specifically, Paul prays that God will reveal his will to them, that the Colossian church and us will walk with God in a personal relationship, and therefore, as a result of that relationship, as a result of knowing God in an intimate way that transforms our lives, three things are going to happen in your life. Look at number one. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Following Jesus causes us to grow spiritually, and this means that we produce fruit. There's really like two types of fruit the New Testament describes. The first one is spiritual fruit. That is inward growth. Galatians Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 describe spiritual fruit. It literally calls it fruits of the Spirit. Look at verse 20. Listen to verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Spiritual fruit is, is the fruit that sort of bubbles up from inside of us as we walk with Jesus. It's fruit that the Holy Spirit produces inside of you as you pray and study the Word and live in obedience to Jesus. I would love to have more of all those things, right? That sounds pretty good. I think I'd be a lot better friend and and husband and pastor and dad if I was living and producing this kind of fruit. That's the first kind of fruit. Now, the second kind of fruit we produce is kingdom fruit. That's outward growth. When Jesus gave the parable of the four soils, the last one was seed that was spread on, on fertile ground. And in Matthew 13, 23, Jesus said, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is a result of your ministry. As we walk with Jesus, as we live in obedience with Jesus' word, two kinds of fruit will emanate from your life. Spiritual fruit. The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And kingdom fruit. You will go out and you will proclaim the gospel and people will be saved. You will do good deeds in the name of Jesus and people will be drawn to God and his mercy. This is a result of your ministry. That's a result of walking with Jesus. We see this, uh, this, this fruit-bearing process at work all over the place. What does a mango tree produce? Mangoes. What does an apple tree produce? Apples. What does a Christian walking with Jesus, dedicated to him, loving him, in obedience to him? Fruit. 
spiritual fruit and kingdom fruit. A Christian, a, pro, a self-proclaiming Christian who's not producing fruit like a tree is either sick or they're not a Christian. Just like a tree. So the calling upon our lives, a prayer from Colossians is that we would be Christians that produce fruit for Jesus. Following Jesus, is, uh, following Jesus also produces power. Look at verse 11. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Following Jesus will produce spiritual power in your life. That's a promise from God. From the Greek word dynamis that we use for the word dynamite, when you have dynamis, when you have this kind of power in the Greek, it talks about potential power to exert a mighty force. Folks, that's the Holy Spirit power. That's power that you can have from God as you walk with Jesus that only comes from us being filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's power that God desires for you to have. Specifically, in this part of Paul's prayer, it's power to produce two things in our lives. Number one, look at it, steadfastness. Steadfastness is the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances. That means when life gets tough, that means when it's hard to follow Jesus, that means when we have to take a stand against the world to follow him in obedience, that we remain steadfast and faithful to him. And guess what? You can't do that on your own, right? But we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the second type of uh, second thing power does through the Holy Spirit is give us patience. Anybody need some patience? Careful, don't raise your hand, because when you ask for patience, it's coming, right? It doesn't come the way you think it's going to be. It's not like a, like a blessing from God, right? It's circumstances that allow you to grow in your patience. And we're, we're an impatient people, amen? Woo, I'm, I am impatient. I like things to happen now. If not now, maybe just later today. But that's not how God works. And we've got to be patient in following Him. And you know, God works through His Holy Spirit, through the slow, steady pressure of His Spirit in our lives. And as we follow Jesus, and as we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, that ability to be patient, which means having a remaining emotionally calm in the face of provocation or misfortune. Listen, th this Koine Greek word is pretty amazing. The word they use for patience. Emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune without complaining. That's biblical patience. Steadfast, meaning standing strong in the midst of difficult circumstances, with patience, meaning without complaining. Lord knows we can't do that on our own, amen? And that's what we got the Holy Spirit for. As we follow Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit increases within us and gives us the ability to do that. And then, and then number three, following Jesus produces joy. Anybody need some joy today, amen? Ooh, I like joy. Joyously, look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's talking about joyous thanksgiving. Heartfelt, heartfelt genuine thankfulness that originates with our experience in salvation. You know what that means? That means 
no matter what happens, when the rains come and the winds come, when you lose that job or you receive that difficult news about your health, that we have an unending, eternal joy that surpasses and overwhelms every single circumstance because we have a promised salvation in Jesus. We have joy in Christ that bubbles up and emanates from the salvation that Jesus provides us. You see, God intends for the glorious message of the gospel to change your life. Jesus came so you could bear fruit, so you could live with power, and so you could have joy. Well, what's the point of Christmas? Many of you will probably ask that question over the next few weeks, and and this world is not short in proclaiming why Christmas exists, right? The ads will be aplenty about what you need and what you need to give somebody else and, and what you need to do this Christmas season. And, and lots of that stuff's amazing, right? We got Hallmark Christian movies, right? Anybody start watching those yet? Yeah, good. They're at the dryer house about 24 hours a day. Hallmark Christian movies. And I got news for you. The, the plots have not changed one bit. Uh, the, the word says there's nothing new under the sun. That applies to Hallmark Christian movies. They're a part of Christmas, but they're not the point of Christmas. I love the awesome foods at Christmas time, right? They're a part of it, and that's awesome, but they're not the point. I love our chili cook-off that Miss Alice and the fellowship team will put on later this month. I love the fellowship that we have around meals and around activities and decorating. I love driving around town and looking at the Christmas lights. I love making really good hot chocolate. I love the family gatherings. I love how everything kind of slows down that last week right before Christmas and everybody spends a little bit more time with family and friends. All of those, they're all a great part of Christmas, but they're not the point of Christmas. God became man and dwelled among us. But that's not all that happened on the first Christmas. You see, the birth of Jesus set in motion a series of events that culminated in the reason why Jesus came in the first place. And this is what Paul explains in verses 13 and 14. And let me just walk through this with you briefly and then I'll be finished. Verse 13 continues. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. God became man, and his name is Jesus. He invaded Satan's territory, which is the sinful heart of man that Satan possesses and controls. God rescued us from Satan's control. He showered his grace upon us and replaced our hearts of stone, infatuated with sin, with new hearts of flesh, filled with faith in our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. No longer would our eyes be covered with a veil. No longer would our eyes be shrouded by the cares of this world and the lies perpetuated by it. Instead, as Psalm chapter 40, verse 2 says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. 
You see, God rescued us from the domain of darkness and simultaneously transferred us into Jesus' kingdom. The miraculous moment of our conversion was impossible by any other means, which Paul finally explains in verse 14. Our rescue from the domain of darkness and our transfer into Jesus' kingdom was purchased for us by Jesus on the cross. You see, Jesus was born in that manger on that Christmas day to come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus died as or was born as a baby to come and die on that cross to purchase for you and for me our salvation from sin and adoption into the family of God. On this first Sunday of Advent, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus on Christmas Day, let this song written by Isaac Watts ring true in our hearts. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Joy to the world, our King has come, and He's called us out of the darkness and into His marvelous life. We're going to move now into a time of invitation. And this is an opportunity to you to respond to whatever God is laying on your heart. Perhaps it's a moment for you to prepare yourself for this Advent season. To place Jesus first as we make our plans, as we decorate our trees, as we wrap our presents. To remember why we're doing those things. Because God became man and dwelled among us. Because our Savior came to seek and save that which was lost. So I want to invite all of you to stand now. Our altar will be open. I'll be up here if you need prayer. If there's a decision on your heart to come to faith in Jesus or to join this church or to follow through with baptism, whatever that is, let's use this time of invitation to respond to whatever it is the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for you today. You are a good God. Help us to remember over these next few weeks as we prepare to celebrate Christmas that you're the reason for this season. That you became man and dwelt among us to save us from our sins, to restore us to life, to reconcile us and to fix our broken relationship, to adopt us into your family. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you move in our hearts today and give us the faith to respond. In Jesus' name I pray.